The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. What an incredibly powerful name it is, the name that above all names, that when it's spoken, hell trembles, that Satan flees and that the powers of darkness cannot stand against it. And that name, by the way, is in, within your repertoire to use and to call upon within your life for strength. We couldn't do this morning of calling out that name, of worshiping him without some really incredible volunteers. Some you've seen up here, others in the back, and a lot of other people putting together these services. So let's honor them this morning by saying thank you. Matt and his creative team and just hard-working team have put together what I think is a beautiful week. I hope that you've experienced this week the coming of a king last Sunday and Palm Sunday. A king who serves his people and loves them well on Maundy Thursday with communion here. A king who was willing to die in place of his people on Good Friday in the service here. And then this morning from the sunrise services to these services of a king who was willing to give to his people an inheritance. That he was an incredibly generous king. A king who said, I have all of these things and I am giving them to you. That as it were, my death on the cross Uh, was the manner in which I instituted and enacted my will and testament to you. That I had to die. Just as if you were an heir uh, to someone in this world, you only got your inheritance when that individual dies. And so it's the same way with the king. The king of all glory, the king of all things, had to die. And in that dying and then living, he said, now I get to execute my will and testament. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you, as Paul said, every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That within me I hold 10,000 times 10,000 of the treasures of heaven. And I'm giving them to you. You're an heir of this. That's good news, right? You may not have known that you're an heir. But you're an heir today of this good gift of our King. And the story of Christ's resurrection read from John's Gospel that Andrew Shank read to us speaks of Mary Magdalene and others who went to find Jesus at the tomb uh, on that Easter morning, that Sunday morning, the day after the Jewish Sabbath, the institution of our new Sabbath on Sunday mornings. And they got there and the stone was rolled away. And you probably already know this, but I was encouraged this morning when Matthew Palmer was preaching at the sunrise service, and he said, you know why the stone was rolled away, right? And I said, of course, let Jesus out. And he goes, not to let Jesus out. I was like, of course not, not to let Jesus out. That was wrong. I was just making everyone else around me feel better. And he goes, it wasn't to let him out because he could get out. Because later, when everyone was hiding in a room and the doors were were locked, Jesus in his glorified body just went right into the room. It was as if he was a different matter and he came through the wall, as it were, and was there with them. He said the reason the stone was rolled away wasn't to let Jesus out, but to let us in. Because the reality is this. If Jesus Christ is not resurrected from the dead, then none of this matters. It's just some decent teaching 
It's just a nice time to gather together and to have our emotions uh, brought up a bit and to sing and to have fun and, and to make ourselves feel less lonely in a lonely world. But if the resurrection is true, then you have to deal with it. You have to deal with everything else that's written in this book. You have to then say, if the resurrection's true, and it is, by the way, there really is an empty tomb, unlike every other leader of every other religion and philosophy within the world, you'll find their bones or dust of their bones somewhere, but you won't find Christ for their living bones, shrouded in glorified flesh and seated at the right hand of God, his Father, waiting to one day be told, son, go back. Go back and get your church. Go back and finish now, ultimately, what was completed at the cross. Now go back, and Satan, as he's heading off the field of play and off the field of battle, heading into his eternal timeout, he's still kicking and screaming, now go back and shut him up for good. And he's coming back one day. But in the meantime, we have to live this life, right? The already has happened, that Christ has died, he's raised from the dead, he's ascended. The already, but the not yet, he hasn't come back yet. So we live within this age of tension of the already and the not yet. And so how do we live? For many, many people, we live fearfully. We live a life filled with anxiety. And Christ, when he had spoken to Mary Magdalene, and he spoke to the twelve, He said one statement three times, and this is the statement that he said, peace be with you. Familiar statement? You said it this morning. You spoke, as it were, divine words today to the soul of the person that you held their hand and you touched them and you said, peace be with you. Because Christ came and at the resurrection, the very first thing he seemed to indicate to his disciples was this, I want you to be at peace. I'm alive. I'm going to be leaving in a few days, but I want you to be at peace and to experience my peace. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. That this peace that Christ gives to his children through the power of the resurrection. Because when the disciples heard him say, peace be with you, I imagine that their thoughts went back to words not too many days before spoken by Christ, recorded in John's Gospel in chapter 14, beginning in verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, Jesus said, but the Helper, that is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Jesus said, I'm going to go away. And what is immediately going to happen in the absence of your sight of me is that you will be afraid. You will be anxious. And I want you to know, I'm giving you something. I'm giving you my peace. I'm giving you my shalom Uh, That word shalom is a full word, uh, a pregnant word of of flourishing, of wholeness. He's saying, "I, I want you to flourish in my physical absence. 
I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit with you who is going to bring these things about in your life. But I want you to experience peace. Because what we're going to see this morning in the moments that we have together, we're going to look at the enemy of our peace. We're going to look at the qualities of the peace that Christ gives to us. And then for a few moments at the end of the one who gives us this peace. So the first thing is the enemy of peace. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Christ is saying fear and anxiety are the opposites or the enemies of peace and shalom within your life. You see, peace has to do with a steadiness. The opposite of peace isn't hopelessness or despair. The opposite of peace is worry and anxiety. Peace, therefore, has to do with the confidence in God's control in your life, the way that you can see how things are. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, make your petitions known to God. And the God of all peace... Or the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. He says anxiety, fear is the greatest opposition to peace. Or it should be a sign for you, a presenting sign in your life. If you see a rash on your hand, you know that something's going on. If you have a cough, you know that something's going on. If you have a fever, you know that something's going on. They're presenting signs of some sort of infection. It's the same way. If you have anxiety and fear within your life, there is a spiritual infection going on within you that says you aren't at peace. Let's just do a little show of hands. This isn't a rhetorical question. How many of you have experienced at some level anxiety or fear within the last 30 days? 30 minutes? I'm sorry. Put your hands back up just for a second. Last 30 days. Look around, folks. Honestly, look around. You're in good company. You're not the only one. Now, within that fear and anxiety, here's this little lie that you hear. I'm the only one. If I was just a good Christian, if I was just a good person, then I wouldn't be dealing with fear and anxiety. Guess what? It seems to be contagious. It seems to be epidemic. See, fear is the opposite. Anxiety is the opposite of God's peace. A little interesting thing, the Greek word for anxiety is merimna. Merimna. And it means to be in pieces. When you're anxious, it is as if your soul is in pieces. You're fragmented. You're not whole. You're not in one piece, as it were. And it's the story, interesting, in Luke, when Jesus is going and he's spending some time with Mary and Martha, the sisters, and he goes to their house. Now, again, put yourself in this context. Jesus is showing up for dinner. How many of you have family showing up for dinner today? A couple of you? It can get a little anxious. Oh, we got to get everything done. This is just, in my house growing up, the statement was always, Billy? What would you do if the president showed up for dinner? Oh, well, I'd have my arms down, no elbows on the table. I'd figure out if the bread is on the left and drinks on the right or the drinks on the left. I don't know. And it was just, it was no fun to have, neighbor, to have people come over because it was just this anxiety-riddled thing in the house. Mary and Martha were there, and Jesus is showing up. And Mary sits down at his feet. 
And Martha does 300 things. And Jesus looks at Martha and basically says, with a play on that word of Mirma, he says, Martha, I'm one of 300 things to you. I need to be one, like your sister Mary. I'm the one thing for her, not the 300 things for you. That's how we are so often. We're shattered into these, piece, these pieces with anxiety, that we, we worry at night, that we pace the floor, that we wake up in the morning and we're wondering about the day. We're wondering what this week is going to be like. Some of you, if you're a student, you have tests this week. You have papers due this week. You've got the end of college semester coming up and you're worried and wondering. Some of you have deadlines at work. Some of you have big meetings coming up, maybe even tomorrow morning. And so you don't want to go to sleep tonight because you know what going to sleep on Sunday night is. That means waking up on Monday morning. And Monday morning's just filled with anxiety. And you don't want to do that. And others of you, you've got prom coming up. And oh, 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 man, prom. And then everybody's judging me. Is it a good dress? Not a good dress? Good suit? Should I have done this? Is this? And Can I even go to prom? Oh, my gosh. What about this? And you've got sports things. And then, oh, but these are just the kids, right? Parents, guess where they learn it? I, I see it in the parents so often. Of You go around and we do all of these things. And we're worried and we're anxious. And we fret all the time. And some of you have right in your pocket a cause of anxiety. You've got this little thing that indicates whether the Dow Jones Industrial Average went up or down this week. Any of you have one of those on your phone? Why? Does it matter? But it does because you're going, it's up. Hey, this is awesome. It's down. It's not so awesome. What am I going to do? Honey, we can't go out to dinner. It's down by a point. Yeah, but we have two commas in our net worth. Yeah, but we can't go out to dinner. I mean, what if it all comes to an end? We worry and we fret. And there's no peace. We're constantly working. There's some of you who should have retired a decade ago, but you're terrified. And you keep working, thinking that through that work, you're going to find peace, the proverbial carrot that's out there. But it's all fear and anxiety. Some of you are wrestling with it. And what you find is this. The more that you move away from God, the more you feel your finiteness. The more that you move away from God, the more you feel powerlessness and helplessness. And that somebody in this place is just too big for you. And you're terrified of it all. Have you ever seen a child who's lost in a large store? That the child is overwhelmed in their lostness. They're overwhelmed by the size and the magnitude of the store. And their mother or father or grandparent isn't around and the child is terrified. That's so often how we are when we move away from God. And we think that if we move away from God, we're going to find peace. But when we move away from Him, we actually find the opposite. Nietzsche, in his thoughts, wrote this. If you decide that God is dead, if we realize and recognize that God is dead, what we need is people who will be able to handle the fear. If God is dead, there is no right and wrong, and there is no meaning in life at all. Nietzsche got it right. If you dismiss God altogether, you better be able to deal with fear. Because the absence of God is the immediate presence of fearfulness and anxiety. There is no peace in a world that has no benevolent good and loving God like the one of the Bible. 
See, what Nietzsche was saying was that when you get rid of God, you get rid of all certainty of purpose. You get rid of why you're here. You get rid of right and wrong. You get rid of a moral code. You get rid of a standard. And what you need is an ubermensch. You need a superman who can handle it. But guess what? Any of you wake up this morning, look in the mirror and see superman or superwoman? I didn't. And I don't. What I see is frail humanity with all of your greatness and all of your weakness. And you're riddled with anxiety and with fear. So what do we do with it? How do we, what, do we, what are we going to do with this? Well, Christ says this, I offer you a different peace. The world offers you one kind of peace. I'm going to offer you a different kind of peace. I'm going to offer you something that is uniquely and qualitatively different from that which the world can offer. Not what it does offer, but what it can offer. You see, the world cannot offer you anything more than it has. And what it has is circumstance. What it has is a peace that is bound to the now and to the moment. You see, Christ's peace is constant, the first quality of his peace that he's offering to you today. It's constant. The world offers you what's based on circumstance. Again, the Dow Jones is up, I'm good. The Dow Jones is down, I'm bad. I have a date, that's good. I don't have a date, that's bad. I got a good grade, that's good. I got a raise, I got the sale, I got the this, I did this, everything's good. Oh, this is awesome. Hey, everything's wonderful. That's what the world offers, and there's absolutely no constancy in it. Because guess what? Sometimes you don't get the date. Sometimes your marriage falls apart. Sometimes your body gives way to cancer or to old age. Sometimes your mind begins to slip. Sometimes the person that you love desperately leaves you. Sometimes it all falls apart. And if you are placing your hope and your life and your peace on that circumstance, it moves. That's why the psalmist said this in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear... We will be at peace. We will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Now when the mountains get cast into the midst of the sea, everything seems to be in chaos. But for the believer, they say they're just mountains. God hasn't moved. He's an immovable force. That my hope isn't placed on mountains. And those mountains for you may be your marriage. Those mountains for you may be your health. It may be your children. It may be your parents' marriage. It may be your net worth. Whatever that mountain is for you. But guess what? Mountains crumble. Have you ever had a mountain in your life crumble? I have. The constancy of something you said would always be there. The word of of a loved one who said, I'm never going to leave you. And then they die. And that mountain of that person that you were like, oh, I've got to have, or that friend, or your own health, and you look and you go, this was a mountain for me. And it's gone. The psalmist says if you put your hope in the one who is stronger than mountains, then you will have peace in the midst of the storm. You ever been around someone who doesn't react the way that you think they should? That they're a believer and you go, you have AML leukemia. You know you're going to die, right? And they go, yep. But I know Christ and I know where I'm going. 
So to live or to die, it doesn't matter to me. I'd like to live, but if I die, I'm at peace. Or the person who in 2008 lost everything around here. And somehow they weren't rattled by it. Somehow they were still okay in the world. That they lost the big house, they lost the big car, they lost the gated community. And somehow you looked at them and said, shouldn't you be coming unraveled? And they went, it's just stuff. As a friend of mine likes to say, Bill, it's just commas and zeros. I'm like, yeah, but you have commas and zeros. <laughs> but you look at people and you go, you should react differently. But what they've found is the peace that Christ offers has a constancy to it. An immovability to it. That though everything else shifts, Christ's peace doesn't. Christ's peace is also a reasonable peace. It's rational, as Jonathan Edwards would write and say. Uh, Christ's peace makes you think. It wants you to think. What the world offers you is a peace that says this, don't overthink it. Don't think too much about where you come from. Don't think too, don't press too hard on evolution because what you're going to find out is if you go too far down the evolutionary theory track, you're going to find absolute meaninglessness. If you really want to be Darwinian, then try to prove to me why Hitler was wrong at all. The strong prevailed. Oh, but Bill, that's terrible. I, I'm just thinking it out. But secularism in our culture says, don't think. Your hope can't think. Your peace can't think too much. Turn off your minds. Don't think, because if you think too much, you're going to find hopelessness. Christ says this, think. Engage your mind. Consider what your peace is placed upon. What's your anchor? And here's some of it. You're a child of God. You're made in the image of your Creator beautifully formed within your mother's womb, that he knew you before the foundations of time, that he has called you to be his son or his daughter, that he's established you and he's given you a hope that you're adopted as his child, that you're beautiful and that you're secure. And then when everything else seems to be movable, you think through that way and all of a sudden you find the words of Paul in Romans 8 when Paul goes, things aren't going well maybe. The sin that I don't want to do, I end up doing. And all this stuff is going on. Ah, I'm not at peace. Ah! Woke some of you up. Welcome back. (laughs) He almost yelled, as it were, Who can separate me from the love of Christ Jesus? Can death, or famine, or principalities, or hell, or anything separate me from the love of Christ. I am thinking my way into peace. I am considering that I am a child of the King today, and though I would like for you to like me, it really doesn't matter. I'm still going to sleep well. Though I would like to succeed this week at work, and I'd love to have another little bit of something in the till at the end of the day, if I don't and am in abject poverty and have no health about me, if I know that I can't be separated from Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit's power in my life, I'm okay. Right? Did you think that way this morning? I ask you this regularly when you wake up. Did you go look in the mirror and say your first words, Ah, child of the King perfect in his sight without blemish or spot he loves me he dotes on me I don't care what everybody else is wearing I don't care if this outfit makes me look fat or not I'm going to church women you felt that way this morning right heck no we're terrified 
because we don't want to think. Christ says, think more. His peace is the most reasonable peace that is offered to you. The world says, don't think. Don't think. And then the last characteristic or quality of this peace that Christ gives to you is that it's sweet. It's sweet. Jonathan Edwards. I was reading and listening to some sermons on this passage and a couple of my heroes in the preaching world. I was listening to it and I was like, boy, your two sermons sound an awful lot alike. And then I went and read Jonathan Edwards and went, oh, I know why. You both read Jonathan Edwards. So I thought, well, I'm just going to go read Jonathan Edwards. And here's what Jonathan Edwards, the great theologian and Christian thinker, said. This peace of Christ greatly differs from that which is enjoyed by the men of the world with regard to its exquisite sweetness. It's a peace so much above all the natural men enjoy in worldly things that it surpasses their understanding and even their conception. It is exquisitely sweet and secure because it has so firm a foundation, the everlasting rock that can never be moved, because it is perfectly agreeable to reason, because it rises from holy and divine principles, that as they are the virtue, so they are the proper happiness of men, and because the greatness of the objective good that the saints enjoy is no other than the infinite bounty and fullness of of that God who is the fountain of all good. It's a sweet peace. If life is bitter to you, then you're tasting from the wrong place. Christ says, come to me and taste this sweetness. And that's where we'll end. Of the only place to find this peace, this peace that is the antidote to worry and to fear, this peace that is reasonable and constant and sweet, this peace comes only from Christ. You might not want to hear that this morning. You want to find it somewhere else. But Christ says, this is my peace that I give you. It's not someone else's peace. It's my peace. I possess it. And not only do I possess it, I experience it. And I am giving it to you. You see, his death on the cross was, as I said, it was his giving of his last will and testament. And this is your inheritance, friends. Peace, security, stability, oneness, ability to ride out within the storms that come into life, whatever that storm may be, the shaking of whatever mountain you are finding yourself upon, and that you can somehow say, just like Christ, what, there's a storm? He was asleep in the boat, for goodness sakes. And his, his disciples were freaking out. And it was as if he woke up and went, how come the waves know who I am and you don't? Now waves, shush. And they shushed. And the wind shushed. And the disciples were like, ah! Christ goes, this is the peace that I can offer you. That in the midst of the storms of life, it is my peace is a peace that he experienced within his life. He understood famine and want and loss of friendships and rejection. He understood a reputation that had been sullied. He understood all kinds of affliction, poverty, and yet he did it with a sense of peace and a knowledge of peace that he says, this is the peace that I'm experiencing now with my Father in heaven and the Holy Spirit. And guess what? I want to give it to you. Any of you guys interested in getting it? 
How many of you were anxious in the last 30 days? Would you like a remedy to that anxiety? Don't pace anymore. Pray more. Remind your mind more. Preach to your heart more of saying this, Christ, please be my peace. In these things that are beyond my control. There's a wonderful movie with Tom Hanks in it called Bridge of Spies. And the Russian spy is sitting next to Tom Hanks and he's coming under indictment by the federal uh, authorities for spying against the U.S. And this was in the midst of all the Cold War. And Tom Hanks, his attorney, looks over at him and he goes, you don't look too worried. And the guy goes, would it help? And that's how I feel about worry so often. Is it helping? You're fretting about, you have nothing left on your hands, you're pacing, you're doing, you're driving everybody crazy, you're worrying like nuts, and you go back and you're like, what? Ah! And Jesus goes in the Sermon on the Mount, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for each day has enough cares of its own. If I, the Lord, take care of the bird of the, of the sky and the flowers of the field, I'm going to take care of you. You can trust me, so go to sleep. Go have fun this week. Go enjoy a little bit. Quit fretting about things so much. I got tomorrow because I'm already in tomorrow. And last I checked, you're stuck in now. So trust me. I've got it and I have you. So if you want the peace that Jesus offers, you have to take Jesus. There's no other way, guys. You have to accept him. And for some of you, today may be that day for you to finally say, I'm worn out. And I am so broken down and I'm so tired and I need this peace and I'm offering to you the offer that Christ offered, nothing more than himself. So as we pray and you want that, simply pray to Christ, can I have you today? And then all the stuff that comes with having you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the beauty of your word preserved for us. Thank you for this Easter morning and all the celebration and the fun that it is for the meals that are about to be enjoyed for the fellowship around the table. For all of these things, they are so good and we are so thankful. Thank you for the gathering of friends here uh, this morning. But more than anything, we thank you for Christ, that there's an empty tomb that he is resurrected and standing at your right hand, ready to return again. And in the meantime, he has given us his spirit, the third person of the Trinity, to give us peace in him. And for some here who love you deeply, but yet are wrestling with anxiety, would you be near to them and be their peace? For others who are just exhausted because they've been going on their own for all these years, I pray that you finally would bend their knee and that they would kneel before a king who is also the prince of peace and they would experience a washing over of their mind and heart and emotions and a peace that transcends all understanding and that they would finally, finally experience flourishing shalom in their lives. Would they turn to you today? Father, we celebrate you. We praise you. We praise your name. So shall we now come behold this wondrous mystery. Amen. Let's stand and sing.